0: I want to start off talking about a true story, about a true individual. When Kevin Hart was a little kid, he wanted to be a football player. Always wanted to be a football player. And he dreamed about playing football. He played football when he was a kid. He played football in junior high. He played football in high school. He wanted to go to college and be a D1 Football player. So he had big dreams, he had big aspirations. At six foot five, 290 pounds, he kind of had a football body. So when Kevin was a senior, he looked forward to this magical moment that maybe you have seen when, when they hold a press conference at a high school and this athlete announces to the world where he is going to go to college and uh, play football in Kevin's standpoint. So uh, Kevin tells his coach he's made a decision on when he's gonna pl- where he's going to play football. So the school has a pep rally. They assemble everyone in the school. He lives in uh, northeastern California. The whole school comes together. His high school coach is there. The media is there. They're all there to listen to Kevin Hart announce where he's going to go to college between Oregon and the University of California. Big announcement, big day, special moment for Kevin. Here's what it looked like. Let's roll that video. He worked very hard to get to this point. And now, Kevin. It's ready to make an announcement where it's to go to college. I just want to say thank you to my family over there. I mean, everyone at this school has been so supportive of what I've been doing, and I appreciate all you guys. And I'll never forget where I came from. At the same my family I came down to two choices. It was uh, Oregon and uh, Cal, and uh, I decided that uh, I'm going to be playing football at the University of California. <laughs> What a big day. I mean, how exciting is that? To have your family, your friends, your community, all there to support you, all there to encourage you, all there to pat you on the back, all to say, good job, we're so proud of you. It was an exciting day for Kevin Hart. The problem was, Kevin Hart wasn't recruited to play football. University of Oregon didn't recruit him to play football. University of California didn't recruit him to play football. The next day his coach gets a call from the coach at the University of California and said, we understood that Kevin Hart made an announcement that he's going to play football for the University of California. We've never recruited Kevin Hart to play football at the University of California. Kevin Hart wanted to be a football player so bad. He he wanted people to see him as a football player that he created this whole big thing and had a press conference to announce where he was going to play football even though the whole story was completely fabricated the whole thing was completely made up and we look at that and you scratch your head and you're like wow i mean that's that's a little crazy he wanted to impress people so much that he fabricated a press conference to announce where he was going to go to college now, you and I can kind of see a lot of holes in that story, right? I mean, you were thinking well he wasn 't really thinking too far in advance, and uh, he ended up um, ended up being a really, really bad situation, uh, really ugly situation in fact, a little later we 're going to get to the end of that story, but I have this disease, and I think a lot of you have the disease that Kevin Hart had a disease where we deeply care what other people think about us. If we're really, really honest with ourselves, there's a little bit of Kevin Hart in all of us where we, we have this little bit of an obsession with what people think about us, our image, how we carry ourselves, how we handle ourselves. Now, that's a lot easier to see in other people than it is in ourselves, isn't it? When your big-shot neighbor trades in their brand-new car, that's a year-old car, and gets a brand-new one, and you come into your wife, and it's like, who are they trying to impress? Why do they just, like, throw their money around like that? And, and, and it's really easy to see that in people. Or, or maybe someone that you know that spends a lot of money on their clothes and the way that they look, or maybe the way that they take care of their personal hygiene it just seems a little obsessive to you, and you make comments to a friend or, or a roommate. It's pretty easy to see that in other people isn't it? But we're so quick to notice that, but deep inside of all of us, you know what? There's a little bit of Kevin Hart in there. There's this disease that we really are very concerned with our image, how other people view us and what people think of us. My only son, Keaton, he's running slides today, but um, he likes to snowboard. And so a couple of years ago, our, our family, extended family, took a trip to Colorado. And so being the conscientious, conscientious dad, I bought everyone helmets. Okay, so he snowboards the rest of his ski. So, so uh, he took the stickers and kind of like uh, defaced his helmet a little bit to make it cooler. But uh, this was the helmet that he wore when we went to Colorado. So a couple months later, he has some friends here in Indiana that invite him to go to Paoli Peaks and go snowboarding. So he's packing up all of his stuff, and I'm like, Keaton, you got your helmet? He's like, no, Dad, I don't need my helmet. I'm like, well, yeah, I think you need your helmet. He's like, no, I'm, I'm not going to wear my helmet. Why not? I mean, I got your helmet. You got stickers on it. He said, he's like, nobody else is going to wear a helmet. I'm not going to wear a helmet. It's like, well, I, I don't think it's about anybody else. I mean, it's about you wear a helmet, you know, so you can protect your own head. He was like, Dad, you don't understand. I mean, people in Colorado wear helmets. People in Indiana don't wear helmets, okay? <laughs> so we talked about it. It, it. Even my wife and I talked about it. What do we do? Go, go back and forth. But, but can all of this relate to that that, that you, you kind of care about what other people think. And maybe you think, well, I used to do that a lot more than I do now, which, which is a good thing. But even deep down, we all care about what other people think. Because we, if we're honest with ourselves, we care way too much about what other people think than we would like to admit. And I believe we have a love affair with this, this, this image But here's the deal. I believe that our love affair with acceptance, it affects our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And that's what we're going to look at today in Galatians chapter 6. Let me give you some other examples of how this works. It's the young female that gives in to the sexual advances of her boyfriend, because she feels like if she says no and turns him down, then maybe he won't like her or love her, or she'll lose her boyfriend. So it's pressure. It's the person who goes into credit card debt to buy all these things that they don't really need because they, they feel like that if I have the right clothes or if I have the right gadget or whatever it is, it's going to make me look cool and people are going to accept me. It's the grown man that feels very assertive and self-confident in himself, but deep inside he's like a little boy that really wonders whether he's good enough to, to really have what it takes it's the self-sufficient business person that has gotten into a love affair with their wealth and their success. It's the person that goes to church because they think it's the right thing to do or puts a $10 into the treasure box or thinks that if they do enough good deeds, then God will see favor in them, but they really lack any kind of real relationship with God. And just like Kevin Hart, I want to impress people. I want to be, I fit in with a certain group of people, and so we modify the way we live for the approval of others. And if, it's you, if, it's, if you're like me, you fall into this trap of seeking other people's approval, yet it deeply affects, I believe, what we're going to see today, our walk, our trust, and our dependence upon our Heavenly Father. So let's look in Galatians chapter 6. We're going to start with verse 12, because they had a very The the core of the problem is the same in in Galatians 6 about people wanting to do things to impress other people that that we're going to see in this passage. And the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to... A Roman province of the city of Galatia, and he writes this letter to him, and he gives him advice. And actually, if you look at, at the verse eleven, there's this section of the book he uh, he writes it himself. So we believe that the rest of the book he like dictated to a scribe. And we get down to this passage, and he feels so strongly about it that he writes it himself. But what's going on is there's a there's a group of people in the church, and they're known as Judaizers in the first century church, and the argument and the dilemma came down to whether you still, whether you had to be a Jew before you could be a follower of Christ. See, this is shortly after Jesus had died on the cross and rose from the dead. And so a lot of the followers had Jewish backgrounds. They they grew up as Jews. They followed all the Jewish traditions. And, and then many of them went on to accept Christ and to follow Christ. But there were people known as the Bible calls Gentiles who did not have this Jewish background. So when they come to this church, the argument is, okay, they, do they need to be a Jew before they can be a Christian? Or can they just be a follower of Christ and skip all the Jewish part. And so that's the big argument that's going on, and that's what Paul addresses in this situation. So let's look at Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 12. We're going to look at this passage and kind of go through it verse by verse. This is what we find. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to comp- to be circumcised. So these Judaizers were, uh, were, were wanting people and saying, you know, it's great that you're coming to our church, it's great that you want to follow Christ, but you also have to do all these traditions and practices that the Jewish people do before you can really be a follower of Christ. So since their culture was deeply Jewish, so they're making people be Jewish before they can be Christians. And so we can kind of understand that, and maybe we can't blame them for that, but the Paul, what Paul points out is this motivation What's the motive? He, he talks about the, the outwardly impression, that, that that is the motive. And he points out that their motive is they want, this, they, they want people to have an outward acceptance. Now, this idea of circumcision, we, we first read in the Bible in Genesis chapter 17, and it goes all the way back to the promise that God made with Abraham. Uh, Matt actually taught about it a couple of months ago. And for, for the Jewish people, God asked that all males be circumcised. And so, if you don't know exactly what that is, that's a great Father's Day question to ask your dad, <laughs> is to go say, Dad, what was Pastor Dan talking about when he wanted us to be circumcised? Because you'll have a wonderful father-son or daughter-father uh, uh, conversation about that. So, um, but, but we know that circumcision was a practice that's still practiced today, more for medical reasons for, for, for most, but it was a removal of the foreskin of the male Genitals, And so that that was a practice. On the eighth day, every Jewish kid that was born, every boy, every boy Jewish boy was born, that that was a practice that they did. So they've done this for thousands and thousands of years, and now the question comes up, okay, but what about Bill? He wants to come to our church and be a follower of Christ, but Bill hasn't, you know, um, had the procedure done yet. So, you know, it it raises up into my mind all kinds of awkward things going on in the church. Because, you know, like a hot girl invites her boyfriend to go to church, you know, back in the first century. And she's like, but you kind of need to have this little surgery first. And he's like, what? What? i got to have surgery before I go to church? Like, well, yeah, they kind of got this little rule that you do. So anyway, it makes all, all these things complicated. So we get to this passage, and Paul is saying, you know what? Here's the problem. You are trying to make people say that they have to do something, have to have this outward appearance, they have to have this procedure before they can become a follower of Christ. And he's saying that's not right. That's not the way it is. It's not about the outward appearance. It's not about what they do on the outside. God is not concerned About that. So here's the principle that we can see in this verse. It'll be up on the screen. The world is impressed with your appearance, but God is impressed with your authenticity. Because God doesn't really care about what's on the outside. God cares about what's on the inside. And that's what Paul's trying to tell them. You're worried about the outwardly appearance. God's worried about the heart. He doesn't care about the outward appearance. So, in our culture, we make a big deal out of appearance. All the print ads and, and, and the media ads and the things we see on TV, it's all about image. It's all about the way people look. One of the reasons we have this raging debt problem in our country is because we all buy things we don't really need, but somebody told us it would be a good idea or we, or we think it's, it, it would be smart. So let's look at the second part of verse 12 in Galatians 6, because Paul goes on to say, the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted For the cross of Christ. You see, there was pressure from these people that if we don't make people do this, then the other people who are Jewish people, our family, in other words, they're going to look down on us. So we want to make this rule and have people do this so that other people won't say bad things about us, or they they there won't be any implications. They were trying to avoid any implications, so they're making people do things that they don't necessarily do just so that they can avoid that. Now we may think, well, that's kind of silly. They shouldn't do that. But, you know, in our culture, we have all kinds of things that we do because we want to fit in. I mean, even if we don't think about it, even the way we dress to a certain degree is 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 done so to kind of fit in. Some of you know that before I was a pastor here at Exodus, I worked for a, a company that made... GPS technology systems for agricultural equipment. And so part of my job is every year we would go to some of these big farm equipment shows because our company would have a booth and we would talk about it. And so every year in Louisville in February, they have a very large farm equipment um, show where all the latest tractors, combines, implements, technology, all that goes together and farmers all across the country, all across the Midwest come. Now, the average person that goes to the farm equipment Show looks like Larry the Cable Guy. Okay, that's just it. If you're Larry the Cable Guy, you are like totally fitting in there. I mean, flannel shirt, you know, got your hat, your boots, your jeans. I mean, that's just you totally blend in. Actually, if you have a little like a um, have some of that going on, you're even better. Okay, and then spitting in a cup or something like that. That's really good. But like you think, well, people. I mean, this is just like the way people dress now. Who would want to go to the farm machinery show? and dress up like Richard Simmons and walk around the Farm Machinery Show, okay? You would stick out a little bit, okay? You'd get some uh, long, glaring looks if you dressed like him and walked around in that little outfit with the skimpy shorts that he has that he he wears around. And why is that? Well, we know instantly if we would see something like that, we'd be like, that guy doesn't fit in here because we could look at the outward appearance, right? It's all about the outward appearance would immediately tell us. So before we get so quick and and we think in this situation, well, we would never have this happen. We don't think like that. We do think like that a lot of times. Verse 13 of Galatians 6. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. So in other words, those who are asking you to do this aren't even really keeping all the commandments themselves. They just picked out this one. And they're doing it so that they can look better. It's all about image. It's all about perception. And Paul says, when we do that, we are putting our faith in ourselves and not in God. Let's go on to verse 14. Paul says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, though the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul exclaims here that the only acceptance that truly matters is acceptance in God's eyes. That that's what truly matters. It's not acceptance of of, of the world, not whether the world thinks we're right, but whether God thinks we're right. Because it's not about what others think. It's not about what makes others feel good. Life is about trusting the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. And another passage in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 19 Paul said something similar he said circumcision is nothing uncircumcision is nothing but keeping God's commands is what counts so the, the second principle that we see in this passage that Paul brings up is that the world puts faith in your words but God puts faith or puts weight in your faithfulness the world puts weight in your words but God puts weight in your faithfulness God is not concerned with what we say. He's concerned with what we do. Let me give you a couple quotes. There's a guy by the name of John A. Cuff. This is what he writes. Why am I so desperate for everyone to like me when the person that I want to be like and is referring to Christ was not liked by so many people? That's an interesting thing for us to think about. That, that if we want to follow Christ who was not liked by so many people, why are we so worried about people liking us? Vernon Grounds is another um, great biblical scholar. This is what he writes. We don't need to be famous, but we do need to be faithful wherever God calls us. So God is not impressed by our outward appearance. He's not impressed by our words. He's impressed by what we do, who we are. It's about faithfulness to him. All right, back to Galatians chapter 6, verse 15. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything what counts Is a new creation. And Paul said, What counts is what God has changed in me. It's not about the car I drive. It's not about the place I live. It's not about the money that I make. It's not even about what I've done in the past. The only thing that matters, Paul says, is what we do with Jesus. Which begs the question then, does that mean that church attendance doesn't count? Does that mean that good deeds don't count? Does does that mean that uh, doing other things that I would try to do to impress God don't count? And Paul is is saying what truly matters to God is your heart. Another principle we see in this passage is the world is moved by what you do, but God is moved by what you surrender. Earlier in the same letter, earlier in that chapter, or earlier in that same book in chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, and the life I live in my body in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Jesus stated it this way, Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will find it. What good will it be for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? And when you think of the story of Kevin Hart, isn't that kind of what, 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 what you see? I mean, someone that wanted to gain the whole world and yet really missed out on what was truly important. I love John MacArthur, and this is a quote that he writes. You cannot come to God through human achievement. You cannot come to God through works of righteousness. You cannot come to God through religious ceremony. The only way to have your sin atoned for, the only way is to have your sin atoned for on the cross, to have Christ pay the penalty for your sin, that and that alone opens the way to God. Paul goes on to say, though, that There is a promise for those who decide to surrender their life to God. Look at verse 16. He says, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the house of Israel. And isn't that what we're truly wanting? I mean, isn't everyone in the world really looking for peace and mercy? To to be able to live peacefully, to, to be able to know that there's mercy, to know that, you know, the whatever wrongs we have done have been overlooked, and that we can offer that same mercy to other people. In the story of the prodigal son, you remember that he used all of his dad's money. He went out and had parties, and everyone was his friend while he was paying for all the parties. And then when he stopped, he ran out of money. Then all of a sudden, friendships, relationships, it all kind of fell apart. Solomon in the Old Testament was known as the wisest man that there was. Yet in that book, or the, some of his writings, we find that in the end, all that he found that truly mattered in life was his relationship with God. He said everything else is rubbish. Everything else is a chasing after the wind. So here's the fourth principle that Paul is writing in this teaching. The world gives you fleeting fulfillment, but God's promises give you an eternal destiny. Because God created every one of us to be unique. And when he created us to be unique, he didn't make a mistake. He created us to be just the way we are to work within his purposes. In fact, if you are faithful to who God made you to be, then you do experience the peace and the mercy that Paul is talking about. When we accept that, we accept who we are, who God is, and we experience that peace and mercy. Some of you may remember um, the girl. It was just about a year ago that um, faked the acid being thrown on her face. You remember that? What a tragic story! I, I think we have a picture of that. That we Keaton Bethany Storo. Yeah. So so police officers are out there looking for this person who did this horrible thing. And then in the end, we find out that somehow there was something inside of her, her image of herself, that made her do this to herself for attention. Now, that seems like an extreme, extreme thing. But when we get back down to it, we, we, we do understand what it's like to, to want attention, to, to want people to look at us, to want people to give us that attention. And what Paul's talking about in this passage is the peace and the mercy that we're all looking for is found in our relationship with God. It's found at the foot of the cross. It's not found in anything that this world can give us. It's not found in anything that we can wear, that we can do, that, that, that we can try to become to impress this world. Two years ago, the Phoenix Cardinals were in Super Bowl forty three. And um, I always liked Kurt Warner. I was a big Kurt Warner fan, and maybe because he's probably close to my age, maybe that's why I like him too. But uh, he's, he's a great guy, and right before the Super Bowl, he said some amazing things because Kurt Warner is a great man of God. And let, me, let me read this to you. It's on the screen. Listen to what he says. This is before the Super Bowl, which they go on to get beat by uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers in the Super Bowl. But this is what he says. Before I could devote my life to Jesus and start living my life for him, I had to go through a lot of personal struggles, including a period of a few years ago where I got a little caught up in things that aren't important. Fame, money, lust. I believe that the Lord has a plan for each of us that's better than anything we can imagine, even if that plan isn't obvious to us at every stage. He prepared me for this over a long period of time in lower profile locker rooms and in a grocery store and in Europe through all the personal tragedies and in spite of the people who doubted me along the way. Whether I'm a Super Bowl champion or a regular guy stocking groceries at the Hy-Vee, sharing my faith and glorifying Jesus is the central focus of my time on this earth. I want to be a role model for Christ in everything that I do and living my life for Him is showing people the beauty that the reality is my, showing people the beauty of that reality is my mission of life because the world gives you fleeting fulfillment but God promises you eternal destiny now I want to go back to the story of Kevin Hart because in the end it kind of has a, a, a nice ending so watch up on the screen as we see what happened at the end of that story To me, it was over. Maybe I should focus on other things than football, you know, because that, that's kind of where I kind of lost myself and got myself into the mess because I thought football was, you know, everything. College football was not on the list of things of where I go from here. I figured why well, would anyone take a chance on me? Arise, rise, climb, climb, chop, chop, now get to the chop. But someone chop, did take chop, a chance chop. in March of 08. Tom Seamy, the head coach at Feather River a junior college two hours away in northeastern california he didn't do something that that is so terrible that his life should be over at eighteen he didn't assault anyone he didn't rob anyone he got caught up in a bad situation and was dishonest and that's regrettable reprehensible but not to me, anyways, completely unforgivable. But not to me, anyways, completely unforgivable. But not to me, anyways, completely unforgivable. Coach Simi left me a bunch of voicemails and I didn't answer. And I was still kind of in the process of wondering if I ever wanted to play again. After things went sideways, our focus was okay, there's still a future here. What are we going to do? And he said, you could still do this. and So last June, kevin committed the feather river without a press conference let's go let's go baby, let's, go, baby. Let's, get let's, get let's, get let's get it let's get it he wants to show the community and his friends and everybody that he's still out there to go get what he intended to get that's a good job of pass blocking kevin good job of pass blocking right there i don't have any doubt in my mind that kevin is gonna be a he's going to be a better person out of this this past season kevin was set back by knee and hamstring injuries and was ineligible twice due to struggles in school but in the two games he played as a backup the coaches say he showed promise and he has a chance to be the starting right guard next season good job that baby what i like about that video at the end is what the coach says that uh, he's not done something that's completely unforgivable because, you know, as you and I can relate somewhat to that story, our Heavenly Father says the same thing to every one of us. You know, none of us have done anything in here that's not completely unforgivable. And they talk about the coach taking a chance on him. It reminds me of, like, our Heavenly Father taking a chance on each one of us. I mean, we all have things that we've done that are, we're not, we're ashamed of. We all have made mistakes. We all have inadequacies. But God through the work on the cross and Jesus dying for us, takes a chance on every one of us, you know, to say, you know what? God doesn't care about who you are. He doesn't care about what you say or what you do. God cares. He's not impressed with that. He's impressed that you're willing to surrender your life over to him, that you're willing to, to, to even though your life is kind of a mess, you're willing to say, God, you know, I just trust that who you are and what you've done through Jesus on the cross is more than sufficient to be all that I need, to give me eternal life, to make my path straight. That I don't want to live impressing other people. I want to I live my life to, to, to be all that you want me to be. So i want to leave you with three questions that I want you to consider, okay? I don't know the answers to these questions for you. You're the only one that knows the answers. First question is, who are you trying to impress? I mean, be honest with yourself. Are there people that you, you, do, you do things because you're trying to impress a boss, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, another friend, a, someone down the street. Who are you trying to impress? Second question How can you relate to Kevin Hart? I mean, deep down inside, how do you relate to that story of trying to be something that you're really not? Trying to fabricate something and, and be something that, that, that will impress other people? And the third question is What steps do you need to take to be less dependent on your image? and more dependent on Christ? What are some things for you? One, two things. What can you start and do today that, would, that would, would help you be less dependent upon what other people think of you and more dependent upon who God made you to be and fully embracing that? Here at Exodus, we take communion every week and we're gonna move into that time. And we do that because we remember, as Jesus stated, we remember the sacrifice that he made for us. So the bread represents his broken body as it teaches in the New Testament. The wine of the juice represents his shed blood. And the way we do it at Exodus is I'm going to say a prayer in just a moment. And there are going to be some people that are going to come up front and have those elements in the three different sections here. And um, you're, you're welcome as Jeremy's going to play and the band's going to sing. Uh, you're welcome to come up and uh, take a piece of the bread and tear it off and dip it in the juice, and then you can take it right there, you can take it back to your seat, however you want to, want to do it. There's just a lot of individual freedoms for, for you just to experience this time. This time is about you and God, so you don't worry about what other people are, are doing, just, just focus on who God is. If you need prayer today, there are some people that are going to be to your right in the prayer room, a little blue sign there under those double doors. They would love to pray for you. Anything that you would want prayer for... You know, we've talked about this relationship with Christ, and if you say, Dan, I don't really know what that means. I don't know if I have one of those. There are people in that room that would love to explain what that means to you. They'd love to help you make some first steps to answer your questions, to to get you on that path to know what it means to to be a follower and to walk after Jesus. So I'm going to say a prayer, and uh, then uh, the band's going to sing, so I'd like to ask you to stand up with me if you would. Let's bow our heads. Let me lead us in prayer. God, we thank you that um, you have created us to all be unique. We are thankful that you are not concerned about our appearances. Father, you know us. You know everything about us, the good and the bad. And because of that, there's a mercy and a freedom that comes to that when we embrace that, when we accept that, when we surrender who we try to be and just be the person that you've made us to be. And so as Paul has taught in this passage, it's all about what comes down to the cross. It's all about accepting what you did by sending Jesus to die for our sins and raised from the dead so that he defeated death, and we get the promise of eternal life, and we get to live a better life. And we're, we're removed from the guilts and the pressures of the world tries to put on us, and we can just be the us that you created. So I, I pray that each one of us today would find some steps in which we could take to embrace that this week. Uh, Because, God, you don't make mistakes, and you made every one of us in here, and we thank you for that. And so we remember Jesus now through his broken body and his shed blood and taking communion together. Father, this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.